right, well, let's, let's get started, guys, with our study today. Um, we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 6. Today, hopefully, we're going to wrap up the book um, of Galatians today. And what we've been seeing throughout the whole book of Galatians up to this point is Paul has really been defining the gospel. He's been defending the gospel against some false teaching that's, that's been coming up in, in his churches, these churches that he planted. And uh, the immediate context that we looked at last week, um, we went through chapter 5, and what we saw at the end of chapter 5 um, was really the Apostle Paul giving a warning to the churches not to use the freedom that they now have in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. Um, the Apostle Paul was warning the churches. He was stating how they had been freed by Christ, had been freed from the, from the curse of the law, from the bondage of the law. Um, they've been even freed from the uh, ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic Law, all these things, but they were not freed to sin. They were not freed to indulge, indulge their flesh in sin. And, and so Paul kind of illustrated this force at the end of chapter 5 by giving us a couple of lists. The first list he showed us um, was what he called the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh, these were, these were things that Paul listed off, the things that he said were just evident, they were obvious, obvious sinful acts, um, Paul said, that, that really just showed um, one who was not walking according to the, to the Spirit of God, but was, was fulfilling their flesh and walking in the flesh. Um, there, there was things in that, that the list of these says, um, as he said before, that if you continue in these things, in these lifestyles, in these sinful ways, he says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Apostle Paul was just showing us the, the outworkings of, of those who remain in the flesh and do not walk by the Spirit, um, that their, their end is eternal death. And then Paul gave us some of the attributes of, uh, of the Spirit of God, some of the attitudes and the outworkings of the Spirit of God he gave to us at the end of chapter 5. These he called the fruit of the Spirit. And the first thing he named is, is love. A fruit of the Spirit is love. And um, I think all those other... Uh, fruit that comes from the Spirit all have their, their outwork and their foundation in Christian love. And, uh, and so this, this is what Paul uh, is coming out of in chapter 6. Um, so now in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us some very concrete examples of uh, how we can walk um, in the Spirit. He gave us the command in chapter 5 to walk in the Spirit, and uh, now he's going to give us some very concrete examples of some practical ways that we can fulfill the command to walk in the Spirit. And I think this is helpful um, because a lot of times I think when we hear to walk in the Spirit, it can sound very, uh, very mystical, kind of this, uh, this abstract thing. It's kind of ambiguous. Well, how do I, what does walking in the Spirit mean? Uh, but as we're going to see here in Chapter 6, I think what Paul means is to walk in the Spirit simply means to um, obey the commands of Scripture, to obey uh, the, the Spirit-inspired commands of Scripture, to walk in obedience to the Spirit and what He said and what He's inscripturated. This is how we walk in, in the Spirit. And, and we'll see that from the examples that Paul gives us. So if there was any question in your mind last week as far as, like, man, I need to be walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? How do I do that? Um, we're going to see because the Apostle Paul is going to give us some, some examples of that. And so let's look, let's look together, chapter 6, verse 1. Let's look at the first way that the Apostle Paul calls us to walk in the Spirit. Um, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual 
Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so the very first illustration that we get on how to walk in the spirit is the example of, of restoring a brother and sister um, who has fallen into a sin. And here he says, one who's caught in a trespass, which just simply means somebody's been overtaken by a sin, somebody's given in to a sin, and they need restoration, they need to be restored. And uh, if you see there in the text, this command's directed to those who are spiritual. He says those who are spiritual are to um, work out this command. And all that means is that um, to those who are spiritual or to those who are, who are um, walking according to the Spirit, those who are spiritually mature enough to handle um, issues such as sin. It, it, it takes a certain level of, of Christian maturity, of, of a spiritual walk to handle um, issues of sin because the text tells us how to do that. It says you must do it in, in a spirit of gentleness. And when we looked at the fruit of the Spirit in verse uh, 23, gentleness is one of the one of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed there for us. And so this is what it means, that a, a spiritual person is necessary, a spirit who can, who can handle issues of sin in, in a gentle, and I think what it's saying is in a humble, um, in a humble way. Um, and so this is the call for us, uh, the first call to walk in the Spirit, is to be aware of sin in our midst and to be mature enough to, to handle sin, to be bold enough um, to address uh, sin when necessary. And it takes the Spirit of God to, to give us the boldness to, to do that because it's not easy. Addressing sin is not easy. It's hard, and that's why most churches don't do it. And that's why the church is in the shape that it is um, because of this, this lack of, of the Spirit working in us to uh, really fulfill this command. Um, so, I, so as a church, I really call us to, to, to work this out. You know, I call to be the first one that I, that I would appreciate any, any help and guidance and in calling out of the sin you know, because lots of the time our sin blinds us. Our sin is deceitful, it says. We don't even, sometimes, we don't even fully aware that we're sinning. We're going to be blinded to it. So that's why we need the brethren. You know, we need to call each other um, to account and help each other. Because as I said, the, the walking in the Spirit all comes out of love. This is a way that we genuinely love each other, is to, 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 to snatch each other out of, out of sin and to help us be aware of uh, the deceitfulness of sin. And so with this command to, to restore a sinning brother, um, Paul also gives us a warning. Look at the warning, he says, um, halfway through verse 1, he says, Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. And so, and so with this command to help a brother comes the warning um, to watch yourself. Because as I said, none of us are beyond uh, the deceitfulness of sin. And all of us can be, can be blinded and fall into sin and... Uh, and so Paul gives the warning. We saw what he said in chapter 5, that a little leaven, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump of dough. And there we saw that he was speaking of the issue of sin in the church. A little bit of sin in the church uh, not dealt with will, will infest the, the entire church. And so when restoring, when, when restoring a brother or a sister, we're to do it in a, in a spirit of gentleness, a humble spirit of gentleness um, in love. We're trying to restore them. Uh, but we're not to do it so as to, to coddle the sin or to make light of the sin. Because all, all you're doing when you have a low view of sin and, and dealing with sin is you're opening yourself up to that temptation. If you don't hit it and, and deal with sin for what it is, um, a, a, deadly, a deadly foe in the Christian life, 
you're opening yourself up to temptation to fall um, into the same sin. And the, the example of that that we've already seen that I thought was fitting was, do you remember, uh, you remember the sin of Peter? How Peter, um, out, of, out of seemingly fear of these uh, Judaizers, separated himself from the Gentiles. Right? He started only eating with, with uh, the Jewish Christians. And what happened? Paul says that even Barnabas was led astray. Right? Even Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, um, a spiritual man, as the Bible describes him, uh, was tempted to fall away with Peter in that sense. So it took somebody like a Paul who, who was full of the Spirit to, to correct it. And we saw the seriousness that the Apostle Paul took with that sin. He, was, he, he confronted it head on, and, and it was very serious. Um, and of course, I just want to bring to y'all's memory um, a more detailed instruction by the Lord himself on, on confronting a brother or sister in sin is given in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, you get a very systematic, step-by-step approach on how, what the procedure is for, for comp- uh, confronting a brother or sister in sin. And, um, and, then, and there he goes on to, to show how if the brother does not at first receive, receive your, uh, your correction, to take two or, two or more with you. And the whole procedure is laid out there. I just wanted to remind you all of where it was at for your reference in case you need it. Uh, so going on in verse 2, um, Paul says, in this type of caring for one another and, and, by, and by showing love to a brother and by, by showing him his sin, trying to, to call him back to restoration, um, in doing this, what we're actually doing is we're bearing one another's burdens. We're coming alongside of them with, with their sinning and we're trying to bear, bear with them and bear their burdens. And Paul says, by doing this, what we're doing is we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Fulfilling the law of Christ, which simply, this is, this is just simply um, the same truth, the same um, instruction that Jesus has taught his entire earthly ministry um, in fulfilling the law of Christ. And a couple of examples that I put here was John 13, 34, and John 15, 12. Um, these texts are similar. John 15, 12 says this. Jesus said, this is my commandment. He says it's singular. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so if you think of how did Jesus love um, the disciples and us by extension? Um, ultimately, Jesus was our ultimate bearer. He, he bore the ultimate bearer, his ultimate bearer of our sins. Right? So in, in a similar fashion, we're to come alongside our brothers and, and bear with them in their sins. And this is how we love one another and fulfill the law of uh, Christ um, if you flip back, uh, we just saw in Galatians 5.14, in Galatians 5.14 it says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is the truth that, uh, that we've seen. Yes, sir, you got something? Yeah, I think, I think this little, the couple lines parallels with, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians 2 at the beginning, mm-hmm. where he talks about if anyone has caused me pain, um, you know, basically if anybody's sinning, uh, you should restore and forgive him and comfort him that he may be uh, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, saying, so when somebody truly is repentant, to come alongside and comfort him so they're not beating themselves up to a point that it completely takes them away from Christ and onto what they're doing and whether or not they're living appropriately, because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. our joy is in what he's done, not what we're doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it's, a, it's an interesting little parallel where it's yeah. calling people to restore uh, in, a, in a loving way, not in a condemning way. Because if somebody's repentant, if somebody's truly a brother, mm-hmm. and if somebody truly is caught in sin, they feel bad enough. They don't need everybody telling them how bad. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that is a good parallel because he says to do it in a spirit of gentleness, yeah. which is, yeah, taking them into consideration. Um, you're doing it for the restoration. And I guess in that second Corinthians text, you're doing it before sin starts having this ugly outworking where maybe they fall into depression or, or you know, fall out of fellowship, whatever the other end results are. You want to do that before all those bad things happen. You want to cut uh, sin off at the pass. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's go on. Verse 3, um, verse three, four, five. Uh, these verses here with the Apostle Paul, he's really just going to continue um, his teaching of this humble mindset uh, that the spiritual Christian is to have. Um, this time, not, not concerning the one he's uh, restoring, but concerning himself. The humble mindset for the Christian himself. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. And so I think here with the, with the context, uh, what Paul will be speaking of is an all too common reality of us to compare ourselves, compare our, our, our sanctification, our walks with the Lord, and we compare ourselves to others. Right, and, and I think um, as Paul's just been speaking of this weaker brother, this one who's or not weaker brother, a brother who's fallen into sin, um, that's just bringing up the, the call for us. We'd be very tempted to uh, compare ourselves to the to the weaker brother. It's just like us to feel better about ourselves and compare our walks to a brother who's in sin or, or whose walk is not um, um, not solid. Right, so Paul's Paul's calling us to. Uh, to, re, to, to recognize ourselves for what, for what we are. Um, and, and for anybody who understands the gospel and, and, and understands what we are um, apart from Christ, it shouldn't be hard to do. But the scripture gives us reminders for these things um, to help us remember who we are. Um, and so just as Paul gives the imperative, he gives this command to restore the sinning brother, he follows it right up um, with this reminder not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Because um, there Paul says in verse 4 again, he says, But each one must examine his own work, his own work, and he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. And so there in verse 5, you see, speaking of this future bearing of the load, I think it's speaking of the, the final um, judgment that we're all going to have before Christ. We're all going to stand before Christ um, on our own. We're all going to stand before Christ on our own. We're all going to give an account um, to Jesus Christ for the graces um, that he's given us, for the, for, the, for the abilities, for the talents, for the gifts. We're all going to give an, an independent account um, to Jesus Christ for what we've done with what he's given us. Um, so we shouldn't find comfort in comparing ourselves to, to one another. That shouldn't bring us, bring us comfort because we, we will stand before the Lord. Because the Lord who said, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, so we will all stand according to the own, our own um, gift from the Lord. Josh, question on that, because um, it, it seems like he's making a transition right at that statement for fulfilling the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. Would you say from verse 1 to the bearing one another with the, uh, the, the second imperative, mm-hmm. would you say that's one continuous unit by which we can fulfill the law of Christ? Or are you saying those are two compartmentalized things instead of, putting off and then putting on kind of mindset. You're talking about the examining of yourself? Being well, they're talking about where he says, uh, if anyone is caught in a trespass, okay, you who mm-hmm. are a spiritual resource, such one is a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to, to yourself, 
so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. So doing both of those things, are you say, would you say it's one continuous unit of instruction to say, this is how you fulfill the love, law of Christ? And yeah. then he says the purpose after that. I mean, he still has a purpose clause in there, to, <clears throat> so that you will not be tempted. You know, it's kind of like a, like a side note of paraphrase, but... Uh, mm -hmm. But then he says, bear one another's burdens, too, with the other imperative. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch it that you would say it was one. Yeah, yeah, I think, no, I think bearing one another's burdens or restoring a sinful, a sinful brother is the way we're bearing one another's burdens. Okay. And these things are fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, these things are fulfilling. Yeah, so everything we're doing here, it's all centered around us loving each other. Because all of that, the fulfillment, of the, fulfillment of the law is to love, right? Yeah, that's right. So all this, even going on, is, is ways that we can love one another. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so uh, so as I was saying, uh, all that he's the point he's trying to make here is is that we're not to compare ourselves to one another because we'll all stand before the Lord and ourselves with with the more grace that you're given. Um, Jesus Christ Himself said, the more responsibility that you'll have um, before the Lord. All right, that's what he meant by to whom much is given, much will be required. Um, so so we're not to look at a sinning brother and, and have any confidence that that we're any better in that sense, because we will be judged individually before the Lord. Um, yeah, so, so going on, verse 6, because to me, because um, Josh asked a good question of how the flow of this, this text goes through chapter 6. Um, it's kind of like the book of James to me, chapter 6, in that, you know, it, it seems like he's jumping around, but all the commentators, their, their goal is to figure out how all this works together. Chapter 6 is kind of the same way for me. And verse 6 here is a good example of that. It seems kind of random for me at this point in the letter. Uh, but let's read verse 6. He says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Right? So to me, that kind of, it seemed out of place at first, but I think um, in, in light of what the general uh, thought that Paul's been giving is how we're to love one another. He first talked about how we're to love each other in the church, love the brethren by restoring a brother. Here he's giving us the example of how we're to love those in the church who have been given the role and in, in the honor of teaching in the church. This is how we're to love them. Um, we're to love them by sharing all good things with them. And, and, and just by way, notice here um, that these that we're to share all good things with, notice what it is they're teaching. They're not just teaching anything. It says the ones who are teaching the word. And so I just thought it was interesting that um, even in the very earliest um, epistles that we have, the very first canonical letters that we have, um, the call for the, for the early teachers in the church was to deliver just a very um, accurate and scriptural gospel message. That's the call. That's the call to teach. And so those who do that, these are the ones that we should um, honor. These are the ones that we should um, share all good things with, is those who take on this responsibility. Yes, sir? I've been taught that this is text that's just clearly stating that we're supposed to parent pastors and not just... Mm -hmm. leave them as people that are laboring in two full-time jobs, but the people that are truly teaching us the Word should be able to share and, and, and what we're making and doing to provide for them so that they should do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I think it is saying. Right, that's what you think too? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I do in think... In a lot of countries, that still doesn't go on. You know, a lot of countries, um, the Bible Church, he goes over to Italy and does a lot of stuff over there with a group over there. Mm -hmm. None of the, they don't pay any of their pastors. None of the elders over there get paid. Hmm. Pretty much any any of the evangelical churches, they they work a full time job. They do this on the side. And you know it's going over there and pleading with them. Look, they're supposed to be 
feeding you and nourishing you, and this is their job and their responsibility. Yeah. And, and over there, they fight it. They don't want to pay the pastors. Interesting. Like a tradition that they just it's seem just, to follow? That's, anyway, that's just, yeah. Well, there's simony back in the day, man. You could, then the Catholic Church ruined that place. I mean, mm -hmm. they would pay for archbishop's seats in, back in ancient church history. Yeah. And they could, it could be some pagan guy that just wants to worship idols in his closet, you know. Right. So that's a, so yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a tough, uh, situation that they're in because the scripture is clear. Like I even put the other reference here, uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, I'll just read it. The call to, to, to pay um, the pastor for their, for their, for their work. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. And, in a, and it's a financial context here. He says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Right? It's very, very clear instruction to the church that, that this is how we're to, to uh, support um, the teacher. It, it, it's primarily financially. I think in our text here, the word in verse 6 there, says the one who has taught the word is to share all good things. I think there Paul even broadens out the call than to maybe merely just financial, but we're to support the pastor in, in all ways that we can. Very ordinary ways to, to support the, 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 the preaching ministry. Helping him move, for instance, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, everybody. Like a, that there was many, yeah, but this is a way that you, can, um, that, you can, that you can honor the pastor, that you can help the pastor, because the goal is to free him up. Uh, maybe another example is to help teach, help preach, right? As John's doing this week, that's an example of a way to help, the, help our minister, help our pastors. Um, you just, wanna, you just want to, uh, as I said, free them up in all aspects of life because we want our, 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 our preaching pastor to, to, be, um, to have time to devote himself to the Word of God and to prayer. That's the goal. You want him to be freed up so that he can devote himself to that because we want, um, we want an accurate proclamation of the gospel. We want somebody who's had the time to, uh, to study the Word of God before they preach to us. This is what we want, this is what we want to happen. Um, and, and I can tell you, I know just from even doing these Bible studies in Sunday school, um, I've really had a renewed um, just appreciation for the work that, that Pastor Emilio does week in and week out. It's not easy. I think a lot of us, and my, myself too, have had a faulty, glorified view of, of the pastorate. You know, I, I see Emilio in his office, you know, with this glow around his face like Moses, you know, at Sinai. Just, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Most of the time, um, it's, it's wrinkled forehead and it's hard work and hard study. It's not easy to figure out all, all of the things in God's Word. It is, it is a hard work. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think we need to, to give him time to devote himself to the Word of God. He shouldn't have to be um, working another job in order to do that. It would take too much time away. Um, because, because I think this is, this is a spiritual transaction here. It's not just, you know, a job for Pastor Emilio. Uh, our giving is a spiritual act. His preaching and receiving our, our support, is, this is all a spiritual thing. And, and, and so money, money isn't a dirty word, isn't a dirty subject. Um, as we'll see right in 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul's going to have much to say about, about money in the church. Um, but it's not, it's not a dirty word. Um, our supporting of our pastors, and uh, the preaching pastors in particular, is, is, a, is a spiritual transaction that's happening. And the Lord's aware of, of, aware of how we uh, participate in this. Look at the verse 7 and following. He's aware of all of, our, all of our sowing, all of our transactions. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, 
This he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so here the Apostle Paul at the end of his letters is giving another warning. Another warning that, um, and another reminder that God will not be mocked. That, that the omniscient God knows everything that we're sowing into in our lives, whether we're sowing to the flesh, whether we're sowing to the spirit. Everything that we do, the, the omniscient God is fully aware of. And we, and we can't let that um, reminder leave our minds um, in everything that we do. It, it's just a very similar point that he made in chapter 5 when he talked about, uh, when he listed off for us the deeds of the flesh and in the walking in the spirit, the, the fruit of the spirit. Um, these are ways that we can just have a very um, concrete, um, objective standard of knowing whether we are fulfilling the flesh or knowing whether we are um, sowing after the Spirit. Um, it's just a very helpful, um, objective thing for us to look at. And so here I think this is the example he's giving here. And just going with the context and speaking of our loving of each other, our giving um, to, the, to the teaching elders in the church, um, this is just an evidence of how we're doing, how we're how we're either sowing to the flesh or to the spirit. Um, these things are going to be evidence of whether on that day um, we're going to reap corruption or we're going to reap eternal life. And this is what Paul is showing, showing to us. And, and, and I just thought I'd mention, with all this language here of, of sowing and reaping and us um, eventually sow, if we, if, we, if we sow enough to the flesh, we'll, we'll end up reaping corruption. If we sow enough to the spirit, we'll, we'll inherit eternal life. Um, Paul's not contradicting this section. Everything he said up to this point, this, you know, how he's taught that we're justified, that we're saved by faith alone. He's not now saying that if you sow enough, if you work enough, that you'll be saved. Uh, but all he's been giving us is evidences, evidences of whether the, 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 the flesh is still ruling your life or evidences of whether the Spirit of God is what's, what's directing your life. So it's, 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 an, already, it's an already thing. You either are, are still in the flesh or you do have the Spirit, and these are the outworkings of the Holy Spirit. These are not things we do to get the Spirit or to be saved, uh, but these things are just evidence of, and, and we can know right now whether we're going to um, reap corruption on that day. You need to know whether you're saved. You need to know whether your life is according to the flesh or if the Spirit of God is working in you. You need to know that now. Okay, so, so with this, this, this really eternal mindset, this, this reality of eternity, um, Paul in verse 9 Paul's going to encourage the churches to persevere, encouraging the person. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And so Paul, he's given us encouragement to um, love the church, uh, to bear with each other's burdens, to help the sinning brother. He's given us instructions specifically on how to love the teaching um, elders of the church by, by supporting them financially. Um, and, he's do, and now he's, he's, he's expanding it out from the church even to everyone. We're to love everyone. Um, but it, even in saying this, he's still maintaining this hierarchy um, that we're to have for the people of God. We're to have a, a special place in our hearts and our giving and our love uh, for the people of God. Yes, Josh. Yeah. Um, question on uh, when he said uh, verse 9 there, mm -hmm. let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's more speaking of uh, God blessing us for our labors here and now, or do you think he's more has a perspective of when we get to heaven, 
You know what I'm saying? Because there's two ways you can yeah. take that as a Christian. Yeah. I think he's saying, I think this is all of a future, a future deal, because um, he keeps saying will. Um, what else did he, he said, uh, what was the verse we just looked at? Um, it's all future, I believe. Just like in verse 5, for instance. For each one will bear his own load. I think it's speaking of the judgment that, that we're going to have before Christ. And how we, all of these things is like a, it's referring to a future judgment. Uh, but the, I mean, there's here and now effects of these things too, right? Uh, yeah. I was kind of, kind of, I'm using the ESV version and it says, mm-hmm. let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. And that kind of gives me the idea of while we're here, um, yeah. the benefits of the life that God has given us, that we will eventually see some type of, of blessing, if you will, mm-hmm. for the things that we've sown. Yeah, which, which we will. That's which we will. Grow, right? Kairos, good season, yeah, Kairos. Yeah, in, in due time, in the appointed season, mm-hmm. which I think, I mean, actually most commentators point out that's the reason that, he, that we think it's future. Okay. You know what I mean? Just from that word, it's usually a reference to um, a future um, blessing, eternal, eternal rewards and things well, like that. He's coming off the tail end of the eternal life, but I had to ask. Yeah, exactly. He's coming off the tail ends of, of speaking of eternal life and, yeah, receiving eternal life. <clears throat> Yeah, that's right. So, so what, were we, what were we looking at? We were looking at um, this statement of Paul to love everyone, but especially those of the household of the faith. And uh, it may seem, it could seem like a strange statement um, off the off the face of it, but it's not strange in that if we realize we're to love Jesus Christ above every other human. That's not a strange thing. We're to love Jesus Christ more than anyone. And when we realize what the scripture says about the church, uh, for instance, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, um, the church is the body of Christ. And so by loving the church, we are loving Christ. It's not a strange thing to have a special love uh, for the church. Um, it's actually commanded here. Um, to, love, to love the church is to love Christ. This is, how we, this is the way that we can do it here and now. And so the church is to be primary in our, in our finances, in our in our giving, in our, in our, our, our gifts, um, in our prayers, in our service, everything. The church is to hold a, a primacy in our lives. Right? Yes, sir. I think First John says it really well. I remember mm-hmm. Emilio teaching on this. Uh, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Mm-hmm. The call of the... the, the, the the revealing of, of our love is what shows people that we're, that we're genuine, that we're true. The world will know us by our love for one another, by these things. Yes, sir. I think it's an interesting text that probably, you'd say, from the big picture gets overlooked, though, because we'll send how much money, millions, for starving people just for the sake of social justice or whatever, yep. which, is it good to feed people who are hungry? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But we completely deny people that are... I guess if you really want to look at it, spiritually in our own household, yeah. that are starving, that are hurting, that don't have bills paid, that are struggling. And it, it, it's the yeah. exact same thing of, if, if you're looking at your household and you see a brother or sister or parents that I don't care if you're eating or if you're struggling, I mean, we turn our backs on them because we want to have the, the social justice of the world. And, mm-hmm. and I think this is very clear that we're supposed to look out for you know, I do with the church and the body and, and, and to yeah. first and foremost take care of each other and then after we do the others. The others doesn't get That's right. thrown away, but if, if we're looking 
how are we going to be representative of a family and of a body of Christ if we're not even taking care of ourselves? When, we, when, when the outside world looks at us and sees somebody within the body hurting and struggling and mm-hmm. doesn't have food on their table, mm-hmm. you know, what's the clearest picture when we, when we truly lay down our lives for each other and we take care? And, and going back to Acts, if we sell a property and sell our homes to take care of the needs of within the own family, and that first and foremost is, mm-hmm. you know, Greater love has no man than this, and laying down your life and giving up your own needs and possessions mm-hmm. within the body. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so what you're saying is, like, the world should even see uh, a, a, a distinction of our love for the church. Like, we need to be different. We need to have a different love than we do just for just for everything. The, the church is not just another social club. You know, we need we need to have a distinctive love. The church needs to to shine in our lives um, to the world. The world needs to see something different in our lives about the church. I would argue we shouldn't love each other as all, all people equal. Mm-hmm. We should have a different love for the brethren, for the body, than for everybody else. Yeah. Because here, I mean, it's especially to those... That's what he's saying. Yeah, we're to have a, a special love for the church above any political issues, above any social <laughs> welfare issues. The church I think that, should be our primary. I think that can tie into the communicable attributes of God, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we can love. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he's especially kind to his own people. Mm-hmm. He has common graces for all and yeah. that, you know, he'll provide rain for harvesting and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But I think as far as yeah. how, what God has instilled in us by his spirit is that uh, as a new creation, we have a new order of priority, mm-hmm. and that is to be especially loving towards the brethren. Yeah. yeah, God has a special love. He had a special love for us. Electing, the elect. I mean, I mean we had a, a saving love. A love where he sent his son for us. Um, so there's nothing, nothing. I mean, I just think on the, on the, I guess in a, in a, in a worldly way of thinking, you know, oh, special love. Like, what do you mean a special love? You know, but no, God calls us to have a special love for the church. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to make the point that it should be strange. We love Jesus Christ more than all. Um, to love the church is to love Christ because we're his body. We're the body of Christ here. Um, okay, so. Let's look here because Paul's really, this right here, verse, starting in verse 11, Paul's really going to wind down. He's going to wrap up this letter to the Galatians. Um, and here he's going he's to do it in a very personal way um, because the Apostle Paul is actually going to finish off this letter um, in his own handwriting. The Apostle Paul is going to take the pen from his amanuensis, this uh, scribe that would be, have dictated his letter for him. He's actually going to take the pen and finish this letter um, um, himself really just to draw the Galatians in here at the end. He really wants to grab their attention and, and, and draw them in here. Let's, let's finish off. Uh, let's start here at verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that, they must, so that they may boast in your flesh. And so Paul's um, ending off this letter in his own handwriting with large letters, he says, for emphasis. And so we, too, um, should, should take heed to these, these last things that he's saying because he's trying to drive home some points here at the end. He's really trying to bring a lot of this home. Here he's going to expose, um, once again, the false motives behind these uh, Judaizers, the false teachers. He's trying to expose their, their false um, motives. In the first example he, he gives there, he says, they're, desi- they're desiring to make a good showing in the flesh. 
um, their, their, their motivation is, is purely an outward um, wanting to be able to brag and boast into what they've accomplished by getting um, these Galatian Gentiles to become circumcised. They're, they're trying to just boast in this commitment and following that they've gathered. Um, and what uh, James McGovery Boyce uh, pointed out in his commentary, he made a, a really sad and shameful comparison, I think, but uh, to how many Baptist churches these days um, have almost a similar type mindset. We'll do anything to get people to walk the aisle, sign the card, say the prayer, get baptized um, for numbers. And this is not a, uh, a godly mindset. We're not trying to get numbers, and we're not trying to be able to boast um, in these things. Look at the end of verse 13. Paul said that what they want to do is they want to boast in their flesh. They're just simply wanting to be able to boast in what they've been able to get these Gentile Christians to do. And so that's, that's a false motive. That's just a purely worldly, prideful motive. Um, the second motive Paul gives to us of these false teachers, verse 12, let me read verse 12 again. He says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so they stumble over the, uh, over the cross. Um, the biggest persecutors of the, earliest, of the early churches was the Jews. Um, you think of the, uh, Saul, the Apostle Paul, before his name changed, a perfect example of that, um, how he went around with the blessing of the, the, the Jewish churches and, and persecuted the churches, imprisonments, uh, murders, um, these types of things. And so Paul's a good example of, of, that, of that truth. Um, so that's what these Judaizers are attempting to avoid. They're attempting to avoid the wrath of the Jews of their day. Um, they're just trying to appease the Jews by um, having an outward uh, working of the, the Mosaic law. Uh, they don't want the Jews to think that their teaching or their beliefs is posing a threat to Judaism. They're afraid of persecution. They're not willing to suffer for the cross of Christ. They're compromising. And Paul reveals, reveals that. Um, to the Galatians. Paul adds here at the end of verse 13, he's just showing how this is all hypocritical. This is just a hypocritical show because these false teachers um, who are attempting to give the covenant, the Old Testament covenant signs to the Gentile believers, um, he says that these are not even willing or able to keep the law in its entirety themselves. They're not, they don't even keep the law. These who are preaching the law and trying to push the law, they don't even keep it. Um, and so I think, again, we just see the law doing its job again. Just showing the inability of one to, uh, to keep it and one to gain a righteousness by law-keeping, um, you're not going to be able to do it. Even these uh, Judaizers here who have the motivation of self-preservation, they fear persecution. They still don't keep the law. Even with that motivation, you're not going to be able to keep the law. By, and so we shouldn't be um, seeking that as a means of justification in any way. Uh, but but, our, but our, our brother, Apostle Paul here, he's no hypocrite. He's no hypocrite. Paul's life is dedicated to the glory of God. And uh, let's read verses 14 and following. He says, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so we know that the Apostle Paul understands the gospel. He knows why he's, why he's saved, why he's been justified. And because of the grace of God, and so he's not going to be tempted to um, boast in anything he's done because he understands the gospel, um, the, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for him. And because Jesus Christ died for him, he has this union with Christ. So as Christ died, the Bible teaches that the believer also died. 
And so Paul has died in union with Christ to all the fleshly, um, carnal appetites of this world. He's died to the worldly religions, um, Judaism, for instance, all the carnal appetites, and the fear of man. The Apostle Paul has died to this world. He's been crucified to this world. And uh, the world's been crucified to him. And in verse 15, Paul re- re- repeats, really, um, in a very succinct way, the gospel truth that he's been preaching the whole, the whole book. He says, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That, that's a very succinct way of saying it. Cutting off some flesh, not cutting off some flesh. These things that we do mean nothing when it, when it comes to standing before God and gaining righteousness. None of these things matter. The only thing that matters, as we've seen, is the, is the Spirit of God and His work in our lives. That's it. Um, the Spirit of God must, must cause one to be born again. You must be given the gift of faith. You must, uh, must trust in Christ. And, and when that happens, when you trust in Christ alone, you will be given the righteousness of God Himself, and you will enter the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's, that's really the message of the book, I think. Um, Paul speaks of it as a new creation. Josh even used that language a minute ago. I kind of heard it. Paul speaks of this new creation that God's bringing into reality. And, and this new creation all, begins with our individual regeneration. The, the, the new creation in, in us personally is, is how this uh, first begins. I'll read just a couple of verses on this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You're a new creature in Christ. Um, maybe just uh, maybe James 1.18 because I think James 1.18 it links our regeneration with this ultimate new creation in, 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 a, in a good way it says this in the exercise of his will he brought us forth there's the regeneration there's in the exercise of God's will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures right this new creation that's happening is, is all of the work of God um, that he does in, in us. And so circumcision, uncircumcision, none of these things will benefit us in our, in our, in our standing before God. It's, 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 the, it's the effects of regeneration. Um, it's by faith alone that we gain the righteousness of the righteous one. Okay? And so Paul says, here wrapping up his letter, um, with this gospel truth in mind, that it's only by trusting in what God has done in the, in the, in the death of Christ on the cross, um, with this in mind, Paul blesses. Paul's going to give a blessing to all those who, who understand this and walk by this rule, this gospel, this gospel truth, this gospel rule. Verse 16, he says, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so uh, we see in the language here, uh, to receive the, pers- the, the, the peace and mercy of God, um, we're not to have uh, simply uh, at once in our past believed. We're not to, like some of these Galatians seem to have done, they, they believed at one point, uh, but some seem to be falling away. Uh, our faith must be an enduring faith. And that's why when Paul says we must walk by this rule, he's meaning of those who have a, a, a living and abiding faith, a faith that remains to the end a faith that we must continue in. Um, That's a true saving faith, one that lasts. And Paul assures us, even the Gentiles, even us Gentiles, that if we have this real faith, um, that we will have, in fact, become Abraham's descendants. We will have, in fact, become God's people. We'll have become heirs according to promise. We will be the Israel of God, he says. Um, 
which I think is, would really at this point be rubbing this truth into the, uh, the wounds of the Galatians, these who were seeking to, to conform these Gentiles and making them become Jews so that they could be the people of God. Uh, Paul says here, it's, it's by the work of God and by faith that you become uh, the people of God, a true Jew. Right? So the Apostle Paul, um, just because of time, we're going to wrap it up. We've got like three minutes. Um, but the Apostle Paul in this letter, he, he's, he's pleaded his case. The Apostle Paul has made many arguments for the gospel, the gospel that he's been, been, been emphasizing with the Galatians. Um, he's made arguments from the scriptures. He made arguments to, uh, just from the life of Abraham. He made arguments from uh, the personal experience of these Gentile Christians, how they received the Spirit by faith alone. He argued from that. Um, he even presented the false, the false motives of the, the false teachers, the Judaizers. Right, and with all of the arguments that Paul's made, all the defense he's given for the gospel, here he's going to rest his case. Um, but the Apostle Paul does it by dropping a bomb um, on the churches that not, not, anybody, not anybody could drop. Look what he says in verse 17. Paul says, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I don't know anybody who can say that. I don't know anybody who's even shed blood for the gospel of Jesus Christ much less like the Apostle Paul did. Um, but the Apostle Paul's um, really able to make this plea with the churches uh, because he has, unlike the Judaizers, um, defended the gospel with his own blood. He suffered persecution just like Jesus Christ did for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and with this, he's just calling the, the Galatians to, to recognize the genuineness of his gospel and of his, of his message and of his apostleship. It's real. It's not like the Judaizers was who were afraid of persecution. Um, the, the apostle wants them to realize the genuineness of his call for them to, to come back to the gospel, to stay faithful to the gospel. Um, the same gospel uh, Paul's been preaching to them the whole time, the same gospel he preached to them at the very beginning. And what is that gospel that Paul's been preaching? The gospel is, is that man is not justified by his works. You're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is willing to suffer for. That's what he was willing to be persecuted for, stoned. We'll see when Pastor Mueller gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all the things that the Apostle Paul suffered for this gospel message. And that's the gospel. And he closes verse 18. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. That's the book of Galatians. Justification by faith alone. So I know, guys, that I, I learned a lot. I mean, I've, I always had a zeal for the gospel before, but I'm telling you, um, after studying this book, I really, I really have a zeal for the clarity of the gospel, for, for this doctrine specifically, that man is justified not by works but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a, that's a dividing line in the gospel message um, that we need to have the same love for that Paul did. Yes, ma'am. Um, I wanted to thank everyone for praying for me. Mm-hmm. I know that I have everybody together right now, so I want to talk to you, tell you, one of you, those that send emails to me, those that visit me at the hospital, those that um, cooked meals for me, those that were those examples of Christ. One specifically, I want to identify one always, but one specifically is a pastor in New York. When I was in the hospital, there was several sheets there 
from people here and other places. And he was right next to me, and I was so weak where I couldn't eat. And he fed me. And that alone taught me that that's what a shepherd does. That's, that's what a pastor does. Mm-hmm. He fed me because I was so weak. Although it was physical, it was spiritual for me. Mm-hmm. That he did that for, for me and for us. So I wanted to thank him. He's very humble, but I wanted to bring that up to you guys, what he did. And thank you, each one. Um, Please continue to pray for me. They discovered several things in my body. Uh, Possible cancer cancer cells as well. Um, But I I don't have a lot of strength. The Lord's given me a lot of strength. And I ask that you keep me in prayer regarding um, fear. Because I still have those spasms that um, you have heard about, mm-hmm. electric, electric pipe, so it's torture pipe, so he just takes into your prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. I love you guys. Yeah, we'll remember you, Angie. You're top on the prayer list, I know. You are. Okay, guys, well, um, let's go to, let's go to worship. Let's, let's pray um, once more before we go. <coughs> well, Father, well, God, we thank you, God, because you have shown such a special love to us, God. Um, God, we should love you more, God. Help us to to love you more, God. Help us to love your church more, as we should. Um, help us to understand that by loving the church, we're loving Christ. And God, we thank you for giving us your word, God. You're so faithful to us, God. We come week after week. Father, we study book after book in your, in your, in your word, God, and... Um, God, I pray for the Spirit to to work with your with your Word, God, so that we're not just um, growing in intellectual knowledge, God, but that these things would cause us to to uh, to work them out. Father, I pray that we would love one another, God. Help us to do it. Uh, Father, we pray for Angie in particular, God. We pray that you would um, show mercy on her body. Uh, Father, we pray that you would that you would do a miracle, God. I thank you that she's even here with us now. Father, I thank you that she does. Um, love you and love your gospel, Father. We don't worry about her um, eternity, Father, but we pray for her her time now. Father, we pray that you would um, would keep any cancer, God, from, from rising up. Father, we pray that you would take the pain away, God, that you would help us to bear bear with her, Father. Um, while, while we have opportunity, God, let us do good to the household of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.